I just remember the temperature being so hot. The air was humid. Sometimes there wasn't even a breeze. With no breeze, there was nothing to blow the burning sun off of your skin. And the sun was so hot, pressing down, and it hurt. The smell, the smell made things worse. Hot diesel fumes hit my face as I walked down the street. And then I pass an unintentional, unhidden landfill. The weight of the decomposing trash was too much weight for the wooden wall, and I can see in. The sour smells of fish and sauce sting my nose. Sounds of honking and motorbikes buzzing by and people chatting with one another. The language is rhythmic and tonal and nasal. All of my senses were engaged. I was focused, quickly walking the streets of my temporary Thai home. I head toward the beachfront to the main street, the main tourist street, that is. It's filled with all the shops, the real ones and the not-so-authentic ones. The w- this was not my usual stomping ground, nor am I usually so negative about this beautiful country. But after being in Thailand for about three months, I needed to escape. I was homesick, and I had to get to something that I knew, somewhere that I could escape the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, the overwhelming hustle and bustle, a place that I felt at home. Starbucks. Yes, once I close the black-tinted, heavy glass door, I exhale a sigh of relief. The cold, air-conditioned air hits my face and soothes my burning skin. (sighs) The smell of traffic and trash is replaced with coffee and lattes and hot chocolate and cappuccinos and chocolate chip cookies. The sounds of English words that I recognize fill the air. Grande, (laughs) venti, non-fat, frappuccino. And I have to wonder who in the world is ordering that hot chocolate. Jazz is playing on the radio. As I find a seat in in, in, in my holy imagination, I am transported back back to what I know, back to air conditioning and jazz music and coffee served in cups and not plastic baggies, back to comfort, acceptance, and home. I was a little surprised with myself that when life was too overwhelming, Starbucks is where I found hospitality and refuge and welcome and peace at least enough to catch my breath, to refill and refuel myself, a place where I could remember home and where in that remembering could encourage me to enter the world anew.
<laughs> Starbucks was where I found communion with myself and with God. Now, my experience in Thailand may not be what comes to mind when you think about communion. It's not exactly what happens at this table. It certainly wasn't in a church. One could argue that it was too exclusive and that the elements were certainly untraditional. But perhaps we can, in post-COVID, we can wrap our minds around untraditional. But it was indeed a taste of the table. I found refuge and hospitality and my feelings of homesickness subsided as I was welcomed into a space that felt familiar. How did this ritual of communion come to be? How did coming together and praying over bread and wine come to be? According to the Synoptic Gospels, the gathering was to be an observance of the holy Jewish meal of Passover. Passover is a Jewish celebration commemorating the Jewish liberation out of Egypt. You may be familiar with this story in the book of Exodus when God commands Moses to tell the Israelites to mark their doorposts with lamb's blood so that the angel of death would pass over them and not take their firstborn. In the tradition of Passover, Jews gathered to retell and re-experience this story anew. When they gather, they eat bitter herbs while their youngest asks, why is tonight different from all other nights? To remember and reenact an event that happened so long ago was to re-experience anew how God breaks the power of oppression, how God frees and sets creation toward a way of promise. We can use our holy imaginations, too, to picture the disciples gathering around Jesus for this Passover Seder. And Jesus blesses the meal and distributes it. Jesus' closest confidants whisper to themselves, as they had done so many times before, why is tonight different from all other And that night was different from all the other nights. Because in the juxtaposition of remembering how God sets the captives free, they disputed about greatness. And someone will betray. And another will deny. And Jesus will be arrested. Indeed, when Jesus is in that upper room reenacting the Passover, Passover feast, the reenactment will take on a new meaning. It will take on a new meaning when, in a handful of days later, when a couple of disciples encounter a man along the road but do not recognize him. 
And this stranger asks, what are they discussing? And the disciples are perplexed that this man has no idea what they are discussing. And they explain the latest trending news because it's all over Instagram and Facebook. How could you not know? How could you not know Jesus, the man we had hoped to redeem Israel, was put to death? But we have heard that he's alive. They ask this man to stay as it was getting late, and they invite him to eat with them. And when, when he was at the table with them, and he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. This reenactment helped them experience anew how God breaks the power of oppression, how God frees and sets creation toward a way of promise. There is indeed mystery around this table. The scripture has a fair amount to say about communion. All three synoptic gospels repeat the tradition of the Last Supper. The Gospel of John also has it, but it takes place a little bit different, a little bit before Passover, includes the washing of the disciples' feet. Paul is sure to mention it in 1 Corinthians, that when we eat, we proclaim the Lord's death until his return. And Acts 2 says that the disciples dedicated themselves to teaching and fellowship and the breaking of the bread. The church, through the last 2,000 years, has had a lot to say about the Last Supper, too. Church, big C, has laid claim to what it means and what happens. Does the bread and the wine actually turn into Christ's body and blood? We call that transubstantiation. How often should communion be observed, they ask. Who can partake? Only the baptized or the confirmed or only those who profess certain creeds, only those who look and act a certain way? Churches have been disputing these questions for years. And as disciples, and by that I mean those of us who are part of this denomination called the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we too have a lot to say about communion. I mean, after all, the chalice is our logo. There is no way to share a complete analysis in our time here, but allow me to highlight a few significances. There is a joke among the disciples that unless you have communion, it's not really worship. Communion is the central act of weekly worship for disciples. While disciples' liturgical practices vary greatly, and placement of communion may be different at each disciples of Christ Church, the rationale for its placement will always emphasize central. We are table-centered people, not pulpit-centered. Like the sermon, communion is another avenue to proclaim God's good news in Jesus Christ. Even the early disciples, lacking a capable preacher, met around the table in a service, 
scriptures were read and prayers were offered and the bread and the cup were shared. To speak of communion is also to speak to the unity of all Christians. Christian unity is important to the disciples of Christ. The community of God's people is made manifest in the Lord's Supper. And this is a significant day, World Communion Sunday, when people in Christian communities all over the world of all different denominations will observe communion on this day. This is a symbolic gesture that when we come together from our different locations and again employ our holy imaginations, we are gathered with so many from around the world and we acknowledge that there are many members in the body of Christ. And it is a sign and symbol of the unity that we have in Jesus the Christ. And why? Is this unity important? If we are forgiven and made one in Christ, then we can also be one with each other. It is a reminder that just as Jesus lived, not for himself but for others, we as his followers are called to live for others. This is beyond the feel-good kumbaya moment. This moment at the table becomes countercultural as soon as you think of someone you might wish not to be unified with. We all have that someone. And yet they are welcome to the table too. They too are one with Christ. For centuries, Churches have used all sorts of excuses to keep people from partaking of communion. Young Alexander Campbell, one of our disciple fathers, was always troubled by this. In 1809, when communion tokens were required for admittance to the table, if you can imagine, did any of y'all know this? Used to be, you get a little token saying, you're in, you're in good graces, you can have communion. So, <laughs> he was given a token, and what he did is he gave this token during the time of communion to the elders of that church, but did not partake. He took his seat instead. And it was a small act of defiance that, which spoke volumes about Campbell's concern that so many were forbidden to come to the Lord's table. And this is why in the disciples' tradition, the Lord's Supper is not to be used as a test of fellowship. It is why there is also no prescription from the denomination on who is allowed to partake, including children or even the unbaptized. I hope you heard me correctly. I'm not saying that there haven't been things written about this, but there's no denominational prescription, okay? You will often hear in our Disciples of Christ congregations that all are welcome to this table. You'll hear things like, this is not 7th Street Christian's church's table or my table, but Christ's table, and all are welcome. In the words of former 7th Street Christian church minister, Reverend Dr. Rick Harrison, the invitation we offer is not our own, but that of Jesus, and the worthiness of each believer who, res who responds to the invitation 
is a matter of faith and conscience beyond our reckoning. When communion is a central act of worship, a symbol of unity, and is open to all, what then does that mean for 7th Street Christian Church? What does it mean for those of us who gather around this table of grace weekly? Well, this is a place where we set our ego aside. We press pause on knowing everything. We take off all the pretend and we see that we're all in the same boat, fumbling along, trying to do our best. We see each other the way Jesus sees us and loves us. And this is a table of good news. And this table is certainly welcome to all. No matter who you are or where you are from, you are welcome. Because you are a child of God. It makes no difference if you see yourself as a saint or a sinner or maybe a little of both. You are welcome. You are welcome no matter who you voted for or even if you didn't vote at all. You are welcome to this table if you are gay or straight or don't identify as any sex. You are welcomed here if you are married, divorced, or something in between. You are welcome to this table whether you were sprinkled or dunked or yet to be. And you are welcome to this table if you can articulate its mysteries, and especially if you can't, because this is a table of good news. In a world that too often dictates who belongs and who doesn't, when we reenact the radical hospitality that Jesus offers at this table, we participate in a countercultural revolution that breaks the power of oppression. And this is a table of good news. But this good news table is not only for us. Think about all the meals that Jesus has shared. Picnics by the 5,000 on a hillside, a meal with Mary and Martha, wedding banquets for the poor, dinners with leaders of the Pharisees, and lunch with Zacchaeus. When we repeat Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me, may we remember all the times that Jesus shared a taste of the table. When we break bread, our eyes are open, and we recognize Jesus' presence here and in each other. When we exercise our holy imaginations to infuse all that we do with courageous compassion and radical hospitality in the presence of Christ, once we depart from this table, we might just be able to create good news tables wherever we go. Starbucks, picnics in the parks, family and friend dinners, meals in school cafeterias, soup kitchens, or even on the side streets. If worship is a rehearsal of how to live in the presence of God throughout the week, what lessons will we take from this communion table that we can offer the world? Amen. Friends, I invite us to take a few moments to allow our hearts and our ears and minds to all catch up with one another. And so as Meredith plays some reflection music, I invite us to think about 
What ways can your table fellowship beyond these sanctuary walls embody the same holiness, mystery, and love as communion at 7th Street Christian Church?